Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Without further ado, I'd love to bring in our guest today. Um, Before I bring him in, I will say that um, there are very few trusted voices in biblical studies on a whole. But furthermore, there are even fewer people that you can trust as sources of biblical truth, as sources of, of proper doctrinal study when it comes to eschatology, the study of the end times. And I don't know of anybody that is of a more, tr- most, a more trusted uh, source when it comes to the study of the end times than Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth. Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth has been preaching the gospel for over 40 years, has seen conservatively, and he can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but conservatively, 600,000 decisions for Christ around the world is a prolific preacher and a student of Bible prophecy. He's been doing it for over 40 years. He's not someone who just picked up a magazine last week or somebody who just, you know, goes on TikTok and gets his doctrine from there. He is a trusted source. He is someone who has built up. He doesn't just study one point of view. He's studied all point of view. And he has come up with uh with with his with his own point of view and and it is a tr- he is a trusted source he is the chairman of the board of North Point Bible College which is in Haverhill Massachusetts which is a a demanding task but he does it with joy and uh, he's brought that Bible college to a new a new level he is the founder and president of Lost Lamb Association if you don't know this if you're watching right now and you've just recently subscribed to our broadcast uh, to our YouTube channel. I am an associate evangelist of Tiff Shuttlesworth under Lost Lamb Ministry. He is the founder and president of Lost Lamb Ministries and you can do it at the end of this broadcast and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it at the end of the broadcast too. If you're on YouTube, you need, if you're not on YouTube, you need to get on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, you need to subscribe to his YouTube channel, Tiff Shuttlesworth YouTube channel. He's on Facebook as well. He uploads often on YouTube. He streams all the time on, on Facebook. I think it's uh, Monday and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Subscribe to his Facebook. Subscribe to his YouTube. He has amazing topics that he discusses. You know, on Tuesday, we talked about certain common questions that we have concerning the end times. I get all my content from him. He's the one that answers all those questions for me. So what better thing to do than to go straight to the source? So without further ado, here is my mentor and my friend, Evangelist. Thank you, TJ. I appreciate that introduction. I almost feel like I need to bow and repent and uh, ask the Lord to clothe me in fresh humility. But thank you for that gracious introduction. Well, you know. Great men never see the greatness in themselves, but other people, they see it, and they see it clearly. And uh, I'm very honored to have you on the broadcast today. Um, I've followed you since the moment I got saved. Obviously, your daughter is uh, the pastor, uh, my, my pastor's wife, and my pastor as well at my church, Good News Chapel in Montreal, Quebec. So we, we've become family, and um, as a result, I've followed you ever since I got saved in 2012, and I've I've dived deep into your teachings and um you're a source of truth in my life you're a source of of um exegetical uh, you help me in studying the bible and so 
I wanted to have you on today to discuss what does the Bible say about the end of the world and um, specifically Bible prophecy referring to the end of the age because something that people are asking more than ever today is you know what in the world is going on especially in the last 18 months with the rise of COVID and the virus and all these restrictions and draconian measures worldwide that have been implemented and specifically in my country of Canada and also in, the, in Australia and we have people that watch from Australia. Certain things have transpired in the last 18 months that we've never witnessed in our generation and even our grandparents have never witnessed. And so Bible prophecy... You know, this is not something new for you. You've studied it for over 40 years, but there are many people that are jumping on that now and they're trying to figure out what does the Bible say about the end of the age? Are we in the end of the age? What, what, what does Bible prophecy have to say about COVID? What are, what, are, uh, what are the events? What's the next major event on God's prophetic timeline? What in the world is going on? And so I thought it'd be a great time to bring you in onto the broadcast. We had you in last year discussing evangelism and we had so much feedback from that. And, um, and, and so I thought, you know, outside of evangelism, Bible prophecy is your, probably your, 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 strongest, your strongest point. So um, my first question that I wanted to, to touch on, and I know a lot of people are asking this themselves, is, you know, when you're talking about Bible prophecy, the first thing that you have to dive into, the first thing that you have to... Uh, to, to, to answer, is Bible prophecy even accurate or trustworthy? Can we even trust the Bible when it comes to Bible prophecy? Well, I, I think that is really um, probably one of the first fundamental questions that any Christian or even those who are seeking or searching, they may not even consider themselves followers of Christ or Christians, or they may make no claim to being born again, but those who begin to approach the Bible, uh, one of the very first questions I think that needs to be settled uh, is the authenticity of the Scripture. And without going into uh, a professorial uh, lecture, I, I want to encourage those that are listening, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, I want to encourage you to have that with you. And then have a way of taking notes, because I want to give you some content that is uh, far above clickbait. I want to give you some substance. So let me uh, address that question that, that he just asked concerning, you know, why do we believe the Bible or can we believe the Bible or is Bible prophecy accurate? And there are five things that I always point to when people talk to me about the authenticity of Bible prophecy or the Bible in particular. And the first would be the evidence of science. If you're taking notes, number one, the evidence of science, because there are so many people who feel like science and the Bible are at odds or that they're as far separated as the East is from the West. But that simply is not true. And there are just so many aspects in the field of science. One of the things that I would point to would be astronomy, uh, astrologers and astronomers uh, throughout the early times, had cataloged uh, approximately 4,000 stars. But in the book of Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament, Jeremiah oftentimes referred to as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah said in chapter 33 and verse 22, the host, and from the Hebrew, the host would be stars, 
the stars of the heaven cannot be numbered. Now, of course, the modern periscope wasn't even invented until 1854, but prior to that, in the world of science and in particular the field of astronomy, uh, people thought the Bible was absolutely bizarre, making a ridiculous claim and uh, serious error that the stars were innumerable. In the very first book of Genesis, Genesis 22 and 17, the Bible compared the sand on the seashore to the same number as the stars of heaven. Now, not literally, but countless. Now, with the invention of the telescope and technology and space science and so on, modern astronomers now estimate that the stars, uh, the number that they often catalog, is 10 to the 26th power. Uh, the unique thing about that is that science uses that same uh, equation for the sands and the grains of sands on the beaches across the world. They use that same equation, 10 to the 26th power. So uh, this is just one, one example of eventually catching up with the knowledge of the Bible, that the Bible said that the stars and the sands of the seas are innumerable. And they had cataloged them at 4,000 for such a an extended period of time and just wrote the Bible off as out of touch with science. But now we know that science uses the exact same equation for both of those, uh, which is a fulfillment of both Jeremiah and uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, I would also uh, point to Isaiah uh, because Isaiah spoke of uh, that Old Testament prophet. He spoke about the earth and he said, God sits above the circle of the earth. And the word circle from the Hebrew is literally translated as spherical or round. And uh, sadly, there are a lot of people who still believe in flat earth uh, speculation. But up until pretty much the days of Columbus, the majority of the world up until the era of Columbus believed in a flat earth. And so once again, for centuries, uh, the greatest minds on the planet thought that the Bible uh, did not coordinate with what they believed to be scientific. But again, time has proven that indeed the earth is spherical, exactly as the Bible had prophesied. You know, one of the hot topics today is global warming. And a lot of people feel like, well, you know, the Bible and science uh, may not agree there. And that is actually one instance where the Bible disagrees and I would project that because the Bible has always been accurate scientifically, that eventually science is going to catch up with this. But as far as the destruction of the planet through global warming, the Bible said in Genesis chapter 8 that as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day, and night. So those are just a, a few examples from science we could do uh, not just a broadcast together on that subject. We could do, you know, a series for months on end and not exhaust it. But the second thing that I would uh, point to is not only does science support the Bible, but also archaeology supports the Bible. And, uh, you know, many people, uh, they hear the terminology biblical archaeology. In fact, I've had people through the years who have said when I've made the claim that even biblical archaeology supports the content of the scriptures. And they'd say, well, of course it does. It's biblical archaeology. 
But what they don't realize is that biblical archaeology is not a religious science, it's a secular science. And many of the leading voices and prolific writers through the years in archaeology have been agnostic and have been even atheist. And it certainly is not a Christian science. They call it biblical archaeology because the digs are done in the land of the Bible. But there have been over 26,000 plus digs in archaeology in the land of the Bible, and not one has ever disproven anything in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's limitless numbers of those digs that provide incredible proof for the accuracy of the Bible. One of the most notable archaeologists in biblical archaeology, those in that science would recognize the name, most probably won't, but his name is Nelson Glick. And Nelson Glick said, quote, I have excavated for 30 years with a Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other. And in matters of historical perspective, I have never found the Bible to be an error, end of quote. And so that's one of the leading voices in archaeology who has stated that throughout the years, he's actually used the Bible as a source uh, for his research and for uh, his study, even the common flood story. Uh, for many people, that's one of the hardest things in the Bible for people to believe is the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. But we know that Sumerian king list from 2100 years before Christ was born divided itself into two categories. And those two categories were the kings who ruled before the great flood and the kings who ruled after the great flood. And so the story of the flood is documented in almost every civilization dating all the way back to the Sumerians, whoever kept records. The third thing that I would point to for people in trusting the scripture would be the manuscript evidence. And I think a lot of people really fail to understand how powerful the manuscript evidence is for the authenticity of the Bible. But to get an idea of the significance of the New Testament manuscript evidence uh, I often point people to other ancient texts. Now, I didn't major in literary arts, but most people will recognize the name Plato. Uh, the writings of Plato, there are only seven manuscripts available. For Caesar, there's only 10 manuscripts available. For Tacitus, there's only 20 manuscripts available. For Sophocles, there's 193 manuscripts, and topping the list would be Homer. And uh, Homer's Iliad has the most manuscripts of all ancient documents, but that's only 647. But for most documentations of uh, ancient manuscripts, not only are there limited numbers, but uh, there's a time gap which can bring question of accuracy of 800 to even upwards of 2,000 years for some of those. But biblical manuscripts, the manuscript evidence for the New Testament, there are, by most recent count, 5,366 separate Greek manuscripts and that only includes the Greek manuscripts. When you take in the Arminian and the Latin, etc., there's another 18,130 manuscripts. So the total manuscript evidence for the New Testament alone is 23,986. Now remember, 
Homer's Iliad, 647, and that's the most of any ancient writing outside of the Bible. The reason why I state that and the reason why that's so important is that many people make an accusation that the Bible, even if it were accurate, that it can't be accurate today because it's been translated so many times. And uh, I think people don't understand the Bible is not translated from the last Bible that was written and so on. Uh, Bibles, even modern Bibles that we have in our English language today, we still have access to all of those original manuscripts. And so when the Bible is interpreted, it is not interpreted from the last copy that was printed last year. It goes all the way back to those original manuscripts that date in the multiplied thousands and manuscript evidence for the scriptures is indeed one of the strongest evidences for the authenticity of the Bible. A very well-known professor in this field, his name's Daniel Wallace, he noted that in the entire 20,000 lines of biblical text, only 40 lines are in doubt, uh, less than 400 words. None of those affect doctrine. Uh, those 400 words that are in doubt are just simply things like punctuation, uh, inverted phrases, uh, various spellings, and so on. But most biblical scholars uh, agree that the Bible that we hold in our hand today is 99.5% pure from original manuscripts. The fourth thing that I would point to concerning why we can believe the Bible and trust the Bible would be the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another well-known professor in this field, his name's Professor Thomas Arnold. He was uh, headmaster of rugby for 14 years and also the author of the uh, world-famous book, History of Rome. He was also appointed to uh, the chair of modern history at Oxford. And here's what he said. He said, I have used for many years the Bible to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort concerning Christ dying and raising again from the dead. Another very well-known scholar, Brooke Foss Westcott, an English scholar, said, quote, raking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, perhaps for those of us that are followers of Christ, one of the most significant things to us would be how the disciples lived because there was no motivation for them to live out a lie. There was no promise of position. There was no promise of kingdom. There was no promise of wealth. There was no promise of money or material gain. As a matter of fact, they faced persecution and hatred and death. And all of the apostles, ex except for one, died of torture and crucifixion in various means of horrible ending. But the disciples kept the word of God as it had originally been told without variance because it was true. Uh, people don't willingly die for a lie without motivation. 
And then just one more before we move on to some other questions, uh, because this is so important. The fifth would be the evidence of prophecy. Perhaps the strongest reason why a person approaching the Bible can believe the Bible is the content of Bible prophecy. Uh, the Bible declares almost 3,800 times that it is the word of God. Now, scholars debate. Uh, some would say the Bible is 27% prophecy. Some would say it's one-third prophecy. But without uh, getting into a great debate with the theology police, you can pretty much accurately state that the Bible is approximately 30% prophecy. There are about 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. Uh, over 400 of them are about uh, Jesus, and not one single prophecy in the entirety of the Bible has ever failed. Of the 2,500 prophecies that are in the Bible, approximately 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled with complete and total accuracy. Now, in the day and age in which we live, a lot of people are no longer doubting Bible prophecy. Uh, the COVID situation worldwide and the vaccine and mandates and governments that seem to have uh, gone from liberty to dictatorship in some move now beginning to search the scriptures. I oftentimes uh, point to Revelation 13, and I would encourage your audience to go to our YouTube channel when you have an opportunity and listen to a message that I preached entitled, Five Political Agendas of the Last Days. The Bible, all the way back in the first century, uh, most scholars date the book of Revelation at about 95 or 96 uh, AD. Then the author John in the 13th chapter uncovered five very distinct political agendas that would be apparent in the last days. Number one, he said there would be a one world government. We're seeing globalism being pushed. As a matter of fact, almost all that we're dealing with, with COVID and COVID mandates, are global agreements, nations that are agreeing together on how we should handle this pandemic. It's a global effort. Uh, number one, a global uh, one world government. Number two, a one world leader. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. Recently on the UN floor, uh, many of those that gave their speeches said it's time that the world, for the sake of fairness, appoint a one world voice and a one world referee, as it were. The Bible prophesied that in the first century. Thirdly, the Bible said there would be a one world monetary system a system that will come upon the earth. The Bible said without it, no one will be able to buy or sell. We're seeing some of the vaccine extreme measures in certain countries actually fulfilling that. There are places on the earth today that if you don't have proof of vaccine, certain stores, you can't do certain business and so on. And though we're not living in the great tribulation yet, we're seeing the forerunning of that before our very eyes not only a one world monetary system, but a one world religion. And number five, a one world military power that will enforce it. And so those five political agendas in Revelation 13 point very clearly that the Bible 
is provable. The Bible is believable. The historicity, the authenticity of the scripture is more evidential than any writing in all of human history. And even those who oppose it stand up for many of the truths that support that factuality. Resume. The indestructibility, as I was listening to you talk before, I was thinking of the indestructibility of the Bible as another proof for the trustworthiness of the Holy Scriptures and that um, that in itself proves that the divine handprint is on is all over the Bible. Throughout history, the Bible has... First of all, not only is it, has it been the most... Since it's been printed in the Gutenberg printing press, the most... Um, circulated book in all of history it's the most popular book in all of history but it also has faced the most opposition and um and pushback in all of history than any other book you know in uh, i was studying it before diocletus i think his name was in 303 a.d the roman empire the, Rem the roman emperor when he saw that he couldn't secure the the uh, Christian support and the Christian allegiance and loyalty, he went after their source of belief, which was the Bible. He accumulated all the Bibles in all of the uh, Roman Empire, and he had them burnt by fire, and he killed many Christians that had any Bible in possession. And so for a time, Bi Christians went into hiding, and they hid their Bibles, and so they preserved the Bibles throughout all that. God's hand was in all that that he finally, Diocletus thought that he had eradicated the Christian population, and he actually, he nailed, he nailed um, a, a plaque into the ground saying that he had finally purged the earth of Christians and had resurrected worship to the gods. Well, Diocletus died not too long after that, and then Constantine ended up rising as the emperor of Rome, who then made Christianity the religion of Rome. Not too, not too long after, after that attempt against the Bible happened, the Bible ended up becoming the most circulated thing in all the Roman Empire. And so you can see that uh, men that were in league with the devil throughout history have tried to suppress, crush, oppress the message of truth from being circulated throughout the four corners of the earth, but have failed miserably. Voltaire, I've heard you say this, Voltaire, uh, he said he was, I think he died in the year 1775 or something like that. He said within 100 years, the Bible would have zero relevance. It would be an outdated, antiquated book and it would no longer be in possession in any serious thinker's house. Well, 100 years later, Voltaire's, you know, we're what, 1775? It's like, it's 200 years later, 250 years later, Voltaire is dead and from what I've heard you say, I believe it was you that said it, the Bible publishing house in France is the exact location where Voltaire's home used to be, his personal home. They, they tore down the house and they re-renovated it into a Bible publishing house. And now from Voltaire's house where he wanted to crush the message of the gospel and suppress its reach, it ends up being the... Um, the, the, the circulation center of the Bible throughout all of Europe, 
I mean, that is the humor of God and the, um, the omnipotency of God in, in, in demonstration. The reason why I wanted to talk about Bible prophecy, and I wrote this down. I wrote this from Mark Hitchcock's book that I've been studying, and he goes through how many verses are in the Bible, which there's 31,124 verses in the entirety of the Bible. He goes through how many number of, the number of predictions in the Old Testament, which is at 1,239 and there's 6,641 verses, Old Testament verses, that deal with predictions and prophecies of the 23,210 verses of the Old Testament. Percentage of Old Testament, that is prophecy, 6,641 out of 23,210 comes up to about 28.5% prophecy. The number of predictions in the New Testament is 578. The number of verses in the New Testament containing predictions is 1,711 of 7,914, which comes down to 21.5% prophecy, which, and you, you brought it up that there are certain people that believe 27, there are certain people that believe 30, uh, 30 or more. Mark Hitchcock narrowed it down to, given his research on it, 27, around 27% of, Bible, of the Bible that is dealt towards the subject of prophecy. It would be extremely unwise to not study something that is given 27% or more, about one-third of the entirety of the Holy Scriptures given towards prophecy, the, the eschatological content. It would be foolish to not bring it up. Not only that, um, he brings up in his book on 101 Answers Concerning the End Times that 18, this was written in 2001, so I'm sure it's even more now, especially in the last 18 months. 18% of Americans expect the end times to happen in their lifetime. That's in 2001. I would assume that that figure is much larger today. That's, I did the math, 63 million people. If we're going to do a 350 million uh, population of the US, that's 63 million people. And I'm sure it's much larger today. 53% of Americans in 2001 believed, believed that some world events that happened in the last century have fulfilled final Bible prophecy. That's 185.5 million people. If you're doing it based on 350 million in the population of the United States, that's a lot of people. People are hungry for Bible prophecy. They want to know what's going on. They want to dive deeper into it. And so... Based on what Evangelist Tiff said, not only are people curious, we have a source where we can discover these truths and we can trust it. We can trust it. The Bible is trustworthy. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired of God. And it's profitable to teach us, to train us up. And why, we're, why I wanted to do this whole week on Bible prophecy is not so that you can fill your head with head knowledge. Because if all you do is leave these broadcasts with head knowledge, all you're going to do is you're going to carry a weapon where you're going to go out and debate people and just be a, a, a sore into other people's lives. You're not going to help anybody. Nobody wants to. This isn't just, this is not to equip you for a debate. This is to prepare you. Evangelist Tiff, I've said many times throughout his broadcast, and I've heard him say it many times in preaching, in his preaching lives. Bible prophecy is not to scare you. It is to prepare you. It's to prepare your heart. It's to ready you so that not only are you ready to meet the Lord, but that you're now found ready and working while it is yet day for night is coming when no man can work. Jesus said he's coming 
coming back for a spotless bride, a bride that is without spot, without blemish, that he said that when he comes back, he wants to find wise servants that are in the harvest fields doing the work of reaching the lost before it's eternally too late. Why is God holding off the, end, the, the final Bible prophecies? Why is he holding off his return, his second coming? It's because he's being patient because there's other people that need to come into ki- to the kingdom of God. There's people that need to get saved. There's people that need to be reached because if Christ had come back, I want you to think this for your own self. If Christ had come back, some of you, if Christ had come back three years ago, you'd be on, you would, you would have gone to hell. You would have gone through the tribulation. If Christ had come back 10 years ago, you would have been on, you, you would have been left behind. If Christ had come back for some of you just six months ago, you would not have made the rapture of, of, of the church. And so the reason why God is prolonging this is so that more people can come into his kingdom. So as you listen today, let this stir up into you a zeal. Let it embed within your heart a zeal, a fervency to not just sit on this knowledge, but to use it to reach the unreached before it's eternally too late. Um, I wanted to move on to the next question that we had uh, prepared for this broadcast, which is, and I, I love this because it's something I've wondered, and um, I know that many people watching right now, they've even written in with this very question, uh, and it's a common question. Does Do any other religious writings contain Bible uh, contain prophecy, contain the prediction of future events. Now, I did a little bit of study of, on this before I um, we started this broadcast. And, you know, there's people like Nostradamus, there's people like Edward Case, and people like John uh, Dixon, or Jan, Jan Dixon, whatever you want to pronounce her name. They were people that predicted future events. And they had certain, you know, there's people that they, they totally disqualify the Bible because they're like, and especially talking about Bible prophecy because they say, well, Nostradamus predict, predicted certain things too. And they came to pass. So obviously Bible prophecy is not something that would authenticate the Holy Scriptures because we've had other people predict things and they've come to pass. So obviously that's not a way you can test the Holy Bible. Well, we there you know even a broken clock is right twice a day you can predict a thousand things and you're bound to get at least a couple of things right if you're a studied person and so we call that the law of averages if you predict 50 things you might get one or two things right if you predict so nostradamus he predicted certain things he didn't get everything right he got a small percentage of those things right that's called the law of averages the bible is the only book that 80% of the prophecies that have been fulfilled within the scriptures, 100% accuracy, those prophecies have been fulfilled to a 100% accuracy, which is unlike any other religious text. So Evangelist Tiff, what, or do any other religious writings contain prophecy, and if so, are they accurate? Well, you touched upon something that's really important. Uh, you know, those who say others have prophesied uh, world events, and they've come to pass. Therefore, the Bible is just parallel uh, to those same individuals who prophesied. But nothing could be further from the truth. You know, you mentioned, you know, perhaps one of the most known, Nostradamus. But first of all, the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that he gave were very veiled in language. And because they were very veiled in language, they left opportunity for all kinds of potential interpretation. 
But the bottom line is that the majority, I emphasize that, the majority of what Nostradamus and all of the others, you, you take any one who has been prolific in prophesying or, or writing things that are uh, supposedly going to come to pass, the vast majority of what they say never came to pass. And so much of it is subjective and open to interpretation. But what separates the Bible is that the Bible prophesied thousands of specific events with 100% accuracy. There has never been one single error in the accuracy of Bible prophecy. So, you know, the simple question concerning uh, ancient writings, because, you know, a lot of times individuals like Nostradamus and others, they don't really represent a world religion. They represent an individual uh, that had some weird sayings. But when you analyze the majority of the world religions, the short answer is no. For example, the Muslim Quran does not even claim to be the words of Allah. It contains the personal writings of Muhammad and is his personal account of history and his personal desire for the future. So the Quran does not even claim to be the words of Allah. It is the words and the view and the opinions of a man by the name of Muhammad and his personal account. Uh, if you take Buddhism or Hinduism or the teachings of Confucius uh, or all of the collective religious writings of the Far East, none of them make any claim to being God's word and do not contain provable prophecy. What separates the Bible from all other religious writings is it claims to be the word of God. 3,800 times the Bible claims unashamedly to be the words inspired by, breathed by God. And then the substance of Bible prophecy, you know, approximately 27, 28% on the conservative side of the Bible is Bible prophecy, all of which have come to pass, excluding those that are yet in the future, with complete and total accuracy. The Bible stands head and shoulders above all other books. And I refer back again just to the manuscript evidence uh, point of defense alone. There is no other ancient writing that comes close to the evidential support that the Holy Bible still possesses.
let me restart what I was saying. Deuteronomy 18, 20 and 22, touching on what you were saying, throughout the Bible, it talks several times over. It says, thus saith the Lord. It says, this is what the Lord says. It says, um, um, and, God, and God spoke through visions and through prophets in times past, but as in these last days spoken to us by his son. And so we see that throughout the scriptures that, God, you know, this wasn't, I mean, we studied it, we, we, I quoted it before in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, all scriptures God breathed. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, it tells us the source of the inspiration of scripture. It says, all prophecy came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. And Deuteronomy 18 verses 20 and 20 to 22, God gives us a way to test whether someone was speaking on God's behalf or not, whether someone was inspired of God or not. And the way to do that, Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22, this is what the Bible says, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, he will surely die. And if you say in your heart, how can we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How can we know that those other religious texts um, are, are not divinely inspired. How could we know that other people, the prophets of other religions who love to predict things coming to pass, are not inspired? The Bible says, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, then the thing which the Lord has not spoken... That prophet has spoken it presumptuously and don't be afraid of him, meaning don't fear him, don't revere him, don't give him any attention, don't give him any special attention. So as evangelist Tiff said, 80% of Bible prophecy has been fulfilled one, with 100% accuracy. Not one dot, not one tittle passed away until all those things fulfilled. And the last 20%, I said it on Tuesday, if we know the 80% came through with 100% accuracy, then the last 20% is going to come through with 100% accuracy. But the way we can know all these, you know, the guys I mentioned, Nostradamus, Edward Case, uh, John Dixon, and um, other religions that may have apocalyptic texts or whatever. And, you know, if you study Islam, the apocalyptic text that it does have is actually just inspired from this book most of the stuff they talk about the second coming and it's the second coming of christ they talk about all those things but it they piggybacked off this bible it doesn't have original predictions or original prophecy and the way you can know that any other religious text that does include prophetic uh prophetic um words or prophetic inspiration on their end the reason why we can we can tell that it's it's all baloney is that the prophecies that they have made in the past, none of them have ever come to pass. And if they have, it was the law of averages. You give out a thousand prophecies, you have four that come to pass. It's not because they're inspired. It's not because you're some special heralded agent of heaven. It's because of the law of averages. Um, the final question that we had, and this one I'm I'm interested in hearing myself, is. Um, what is the most important prophecy found in the Bible? What would you consider the, the most important, the most, the super sign of the Bible? Or the, 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 the most maybe overlooked but important prophecy that's found in the Holy Scriptures?
Well, uh, I'm not going to give you my opinion because it's pretty much agreed upon by almost all scholarship. And it is, you use the terminology, the super sign. It is pretty much among respected scholarship considered to be the super sign or the most important prophecy in the Bible concerning the end of time. And that would be the regathering of the Jewish people to the nation of Israel. And a lot of people need to understand this because uh, they're is a theology that is inerrant and uh, it's, it's heresy. It's oftentimes referred to as replacement theology. And in a thumbnail, what replacement theology is, is a lot of people teach that because the Jews in the days of Jesus rejected him as the promised Messiah, that God at that point wrote off the Jews and wrote off uh, the nation of Israel and wrote off his covenant to them and that all of God's attention then shifted over to the Christian church. But that is heresy, exclamation. The promise of God to the Jewish nation that began with Abraham and worked its way through all of history up until today is still in effect. As a matter of fact, the apple of God's eye in Bible prophecy is Israel. It's not Macron, it's not uh, Putin, you name any world luminary. There are so many, uh, I'm trying to be gracious with my words, but there are so many insane videos on YouTube of people teaching on prophecy that really are not qualified to put air in your tire. And so much absolute nonsense about Bible prophecy. You need to be very guarded in the last days. And I, I don't say this with self-promotion, but I, I oftentimes tell people, I would like to earn the respect of being a trusted voice in Bible prophecy in the last days, because probably for every 10 people teaching on prophecy on YouTube, nine of them don't have the IQ of broccoli on the subject of eschatology. And it's absolutely insane. It, it, it infuriates me because people are confused and people are searching and people are hungry. But to get back to the point, the most important prophecy in the Bible, and I preface this, listen carefully, concerning the end of times, concerning the last days, is the regathering of the Jewish people to the homeland, the nation of Israel. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. It's found in the book of Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 24. It's found in Ezekiel 37. It's found in Zechariah chapter 10, verses 6 through 10. It's found in Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, let me, let me take a moment to at least read one of these key passages concerning the most important prophecy in the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 3. The Bible says, For the time is coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel in Judah. I will bring them home to this land that I gave to their ancestors. 
and they will possess it again. I, the Lord, have spoken. And again, most eschatology scholars refer to that as the super sign of final Bible prophecy. So for your listeners that are taking notes, two things have to happen before end time prophecies will be fulfilled. First, Israel had to be reborn as a nation. That took place on May 14th, 19 and 48. That was one of the most significant prophecies in the Bible to be fulfilled. And many scholars believe that the generation that witnesses the rebirth of the nation of Israel, that generation cannot pass until all of these things are fulfilled. And there's much debate on that in scholarship out of the 24th chapter of Matthew. But the second thing that's equally important, first, Israel has to be reborn as a nation. Second, the Jewish people must return to Israel. And the Bible calls it a super sign of end time prophecy. When you see Israel reborn as a nation, and then secondly, and afterward, you begin to see the Jewish people from all over the world returning to the homeland, that lets you know that the time is at the door. Uh, May 14th, 2018, uh, our former president recognized, along with many allied nations, recognized Jerusalem as the capital. It had not been officially recognized as the capital. Tel Aviv had been. But on May 14th, 2018, Jerusalem was recognized officially as the capital. It wasn't accidental that it was 70 years to the day after the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Bible prophecy clearly tells us that the regathering of the Jewish people is going to take place uh, in stages. If we had time, we would go into Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel 37, we read the vision of the valley of dry bones and the prophecy of Israel's restoration taking place in several stages. Let me just give you a thumbnail as to how that has been fulfilled. Some trace the beginning of that return as early as 1871, when a few, and just a few, Jewish people returned to that land. It wasn't even Israel when they returned. By 1881, there were approximately 25,000 Jewish people that had settled there. By 1914, about 80,000 Jewish people had settled there. By 1939, there were almost 450,000 Jewish people that had settled there. After World War II and Hitler's Holocaust brought great attention to the plight of the Jewish people, things escalated. And as I've already mentioned, on May 14, 1948, the Israeli Declaration of Independence is made in Tel Aviv, and a few hours later, before the British mandate is due to expire, at midnight, the British mandate of Palestine is officially terminated, and the state of Israel comes into being. On May 15th, the United States grants de facto recognition to the state of Israel, and it was 11 minutes after they became a Jewish state. 
The very first nation to recognize Israel was the United States 11 minutes after the British paperwork was completed. And at the time of their statehood in 1948, there were approximately 650,000 Jewish people living there as well as uh, several thousand Arabs as well. Now, let's move up a little bit. In 2009, uh, 2009, there were 5.4 million Jews in Israel and 5.2 million Jews in America. Let me tell you why that's so important. And remember that date, 2009, because now we're starting to get into end time prophecy with substance and provability. 2009, 5.4 million Jews in Israel, 5.2 million Jews in America. Why is 2009 significant? Because for the first time since AD 135, there are now more Jews in 2009 in Israel than any other country in the world. So some scholars of eschatology point to 2009 as an absolute fulfillment of proof of the regathering of the Jewish people. Today, as I speak, and the numbers are ever changing because Jews are continuing to run to Israel, supernaturally drawn, spiritually drawn, but there are about 6.8 million Jews in Israel, and it makes it the only Jewish Uh, majority state anywhere in the world. Now, Jewish population figures here in the United States are contested, but it ranges somewhere between 5.7, 6.8 million. Remember, from that handful of Jewish people in 1871 until now, more than half of the Jewish population in the world now live in Israel. And almost the other half live in the United States of America, many of them within 500 miles of New York City. All of the other Jews in the world combined outside of Israel and the United States is less than 17% of the Jews worldwide. So to those of us who know end time Bible prophecy, this historic prophetic gathering of the Jewish people to their ancient homeland is a super sign that points to the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just add one thing to that. There is not one single prophecy in the Bible that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. The rapture is the next major prophetic event. It is a signless event. What do I mean by signless? There are no specific prophecies in the Bible that give us a timeline for the occurrence of the rapture in an hour in which you think not, like a thief in the night, and so on. It is a signless event, but for your listeners, they need to understand the rapture could take place today. It's almost amazing to watch what's going on in the world today, and again, the precursors to the events of the tribulation are alive and well in seed form. You know, there's a lot of discussion going on. This COVID Uh, pandemic has changed the world. And many people are asking the question, is it possible that this pandemic forced people to get a vaccine? Is it possible that the vaccine is being forced upon people 
so that they can get a vaccine passport? Is it possible that the vaccine passport is to force people into a social credit system that the nations and the luminaries of the world are pushing globally? Is it possible that the social credit system is going to first force people into the global control that will bring about the arrival of I don't have all of the answers to that. All I know is that we are living in a time in which the Lord could come at any moment by means of rapture, and you need to secure your salvation. There's no sin worth going to hell over. There's no man worth going to hell over. There's no woman worth going to hell over. There's no relationship worth going to hell over. There's no drug. There's no pleasure. There's no hedonism. There's nothing in all of this world worth your eternal soul. Mark's gospel says in the eighth chapter, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The most intelligent spiritual be made by your audience is they need to get all of their accounts with God paid in full and live every day ready to meet the Lord. Yeah, which leads me to the way I wanted to conclude this broadcast is what should our reaction now be to this information? What, how should I react based on how Evangelist Tiff just talked about the super sign of the closeness of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ is the rebirth of national Israel, which happened in 1948, and then the bringing back of the Jews, the return of the Jewish population worldwide, which 70 AD was the diaspora, that's when they were scattered, and then ever since the 1800s, 1871 I believe was the year, they've been coming back slowly and surely. Uh, national Israel has revived and so, and you know, I was doing a little bit of study on this too. They even have the Temple Mount Society that have prefabricated all of the necessary building components for the third temple to be erected, which that is a, a whole broadcast in itself. And then there's the red heifer, the sacrificial uh, uh, heifer that needed to be born, that was spot, had to be spotless and without blemish in order for them to make a sacrifice in this temple, that red heifer, they have not been able to breed or produce this spotless red heifer from, for, I, I believe if I'm correct, since the last temple. Throughout all those years, they've been trying to breed this new, this, this red heifer that was spotless, that didn't have any blemish on it, but they haven't been able, but I believe, and you can correct me, Evangelist, if, if in, in 2016, was it? 2018. In 2018, the red heifer was born that was spotless, verified by uh, reputable rabbis in Jerusalem as spotless. Go ahead. The head rabbi. As a matter of fact, they say, uh, Jewish historians, there have only been nine spotless red heifers ever born. And there had not been a red heifer born since the days of Christ. Now, the reason why the red heifer is so important is because when they rebuild the third temple, which we know, according to Bible prophecy, is active during the tribulation. But when they rebuild the third temple, they have to perform, and there's Hebrew language for it, but it basically would be called an offering of justification. So they have to have this offering of justification for the cleansing to open the third temple. 
but they have the ashes of a perfect red heifer for that ritual. So it's not accidental. Only nine, supposedly, according to Jewish historians, red heifers in all of history ever certified. 2018, a red heifer is born. It goes through a process of certification that took several months, but the head rabbi of Israel confirmed later in that year that indeed they had a perfect, flawless red heifer that would be available for this offering of justification. Now, in Jewish prophecy, they believe that there would be a 10th red heifer born prior to the return of their Messiah. So it's it's very significant. It's more than just uh, a cow being born. It is a significant detailed prophecy. The ashes of that perfect red heifer must be available <clears throat> before they can sanctify the new temple for use. And we know, as I've already stated, the next major event is the rapture of the church, all of the pieces of the puzzle. And again, Israel is the apple of God's eye in Bible prophecy. All of end time prophecy focuses upon Israel, Jerusalem, the Mediterranean region, and Europe, not the West. America is suspiciously absent from Bible prophecy. Canada is suspiciously absent from Bible prophecy. The nations of the West are suspiciously absent from Bible prophecy, and there's reasons for that that we don't have time to teach today. But we need to keep our eyes upon Jerusalem, upon Israel, upon God's covenant to the Jewish people. But most importantly, our focus is not upon the coming Antichrist. Our focus is upon the rapture of the church and the coming of Jesus Christ for his church. That's why I said earlier, we must live ready every single day. That's right. And so I wrote down, what should our reaction be to this information? Do we just sit on it? Do we just wait on it? No. There's four things you can do today to prepare yourself so that when these things do come to pass, you know, Luke 21, 16 says, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that are going to come to pass on the earth uh, during the great tribulation. So there's a way out. There's Noah's ark door still open that you can get into the ark and seek refuge for you, for your family. You know, the Bible doesn't say when you get saved, you yourself will be saved and God doesn't really care to save the rest. No, you and your household will be saved. God can use you as the first domino to fall to reach your entire household so that in eternity's day, when we stand before God, it's not just you clothed in white. It's your friends, it's your family, it's people, your loved ones, your children that you've brought to heaven as a result of your zeal in as a zeal that was generated in you in understanding these things so number one what can i do today what can i how can i react to this number one you need to get saved if you do not know jesus christ as your lord and savior then today is the day of salvation for you as evangelist tiff said many times has there ever been has there ever been a time in your life where you can remember where you have come to a holy God in repentance and in faith, where you have made a public decision, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to call on Him to be saved, my life is not my own, I re I, I, I turn away from my old life, I turn to God today, I seek the washing 
of, uh, that come, the washing of my sins that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ so that my past can be my forgiven, my present can be secure, and my future can be bright. Have you ever, my brother and my sister, have you ever made, is there a time in your life where you have made that decision where you say, Lord, I'm through living my own way, my own life. Today, on September 23rd, 2021, I'm receiving Christ. And it's very simple to do it. A, B, C. A, you admit that you're a sinner. You admit that you need a savior. You admit that there is this sense of depravity in you, that this void that cannot be filled any other way but through Christ. Number two, you have to believe on the gospel, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that he wasn't some maniac apocalyptic preacher that just come to came to stir up the crowds he wasn't some branch of judaism branching out he wasn't just a prophet or a teacher or some enthusiast he was and is the son of the living god and you believe that when he died on that cross he absorbed your sins on in him he who knew no sin the bible says became sin that we might become the righteousness of god in christ jesus and so now i don't have to go to a sinner's hell but if i receive christ because i believe that he raised from the dead the third day and he lives forevermore that i have a place prepared and reserved for me in heaven and number 3 abc admit you're a sinner believe b believe on the gospel of jesus christ and c you need to confess and consecrate your life to the Lord. You confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then consecrate your life to the Lord. Give yourself over to Him. You're no longer your master. You're committed now to following the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're committed to going and finding a Bible church that preaches the Word of God. You're committed to prayer. You're committed not to religion but to relationship with God. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, I'm going to give you a uh, a mo- in a moment to come, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Number two, if you are saved, stay pure. Stay pure. Purity is something that in this generation is like a lost thing, a lost art. Nobody talks about it anymore, especially within the church. It's like this, this, this taboo doctrine. And if we talk about purity, people are going to run away. But purity is still priority in the eyes of God. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Evangelist Tiff mentioned it. If you're living with someone that's not your spouse, if you are having sex with someone that's not your spouse, if you are dabbling into witchcraft, the occult, if you are touching new ageism and different spiritualism, if you are trying to have this buffet type of religion where you pick and choose from every religious text and you just go your way, my friend, I am loving enough to tell you that there is a real hell to shun, but a real heaven to gain. And so you need to stay pure. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to come in you, to make the tough decisions. Turn away from your sin. You know, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. The scripture says very clearly, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. You cannot sow the seed of sin and reap the life of blessing. If you sow in sin, you will reap in sorrow. Turn away from sin. Put your hand to the plow. Live in light of eternity. Stay pure. And number three, stay prayerful. Get into the prayer closet. 
You know, Jesus said, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that are going to come on the earth. Jesus told the men in the Garden of Gethsemane, your flesh is weak, your spirit is willing. Pray that you enter not into temptation. When you pray, you're building up power in your spirit to stand in the day of trial, to stand no matter the rains that come, no matter the winds that blow, no matter the, the waves that beat against you when you pray, and you pray according to his word, you'll build up a spiritual stamina in you to run the race that is set before you and to obtain the prize. And number four, and I conclude with this, is get busy. Get busy. Get busy. What do I mean by get busy? Win the lost at any cost. Get into the harvest field. Make evangelism your priority. Make winning the lost, reaching the unreached, your reason for living. You were not saved to sit and warm up a church pew. You were saved to save others. You were saved to become a deliverer in your generation. Because just like you were on your way to hell, but God put a, 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 a roadblock and he turned you the other way, there are other people on that same way of on that same way, that the way that leads to destruction. And if you don't open your mouth, God cannot get this gospel to them. If you don't touch others, God has no hand to touch others. If you don't reach for others, God has no reach towards others. God, and this sounds crazy, God depends on you for the evangelization of the world. And I forget who said it, but he said, without God, man cannot get the work of evangelism done. But without man, God will not get the evangelism done the work of evangelism done. God needs people. People are his greatest resource on the earth to propagate this message of the gospel. So those are four things you can do in reaction to this, to this, um, this, this, this teaching today. But going back to number one, you need to get saved. If, are you watching right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I mean beyond all shadow of a doubt. I mean you have absolute certainty that if the rapture of Jesus Christ happened, the church of Jesus Christ happened right now, if the eastern sky split and Christ came back for his church today, are you absolutely confident Beyond all shadow of doubt, is there a question mark beyond, behind that question as to where you'll spend your eternal de uh, destiny? Or do you absolutely know that my garments are made white? My faith is in Christ and in His work alone, and I'm going to make heaven. If there's a question and you're still wondering and there's still doubts beyond, behind that question, you need to make, and you can know that you're saved. The Bible said these things are written that you may know that you are saved. The Bible says how you can know you're saved. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. Wherever you're watching from, on live or on the replay, don't let this opportunity pass you by. Make today the day where you get right with God, where you're justified. You know what justified means? It means justified never sinned before in my life. Justify had never sinned before. God wipes out the, the record of sin that you had. No matter how deep into sin you were, God pushes delete on the computer records of your life and He gives you a brand new slate. And the scripture says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are past. Behold, everything becomes new. I'm going to have Evangelist Tiff lead you in a prayer right now. And uh, if you'd like to say anything else, those of you that are listening, if you do not have that peace that comes from having right relationship with God, or maybe you once knew the Lord, but if you'd be honest with God, and I'm not judging you, but you're not living in victory over sin, sin's living in victory over you. And some of you may need to come home and make a recommitment to the Lord in these last days. But wherever you're at, 
The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wherever you're at, just pray this with me right now from your heart and know that God hears. Just say, Heavenly Father, today as I was listening to the Bible, you were speaking to me. And down deep in my heart, I want to be ready to meet the Lord. In these perilous times, I want to be on God's side. I acknowledge my sin. There is nothing in my life hidden from your eyes. Today I trust in your grace and in your mercy and in the cross upon which Jesus died, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And as I repent of sin, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, even now. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me the power to be what I ought to be. Now, according to the Bible, which cannot lie, as I have repented of sin and called upon your name and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, today I'm saved. I am no longer the property of sin. I am today a child of God and I'll never be the same. I vow today I will serve you all the days of my life. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with Evangelist Tiff just now, I would encourage you and I'd love for you to get in touch with me by going to my website, salvationnow.ca. There's a link that is uh, that pops up first thing. Uh, you get on the website, it's a link that says, I just got saved. Click it, out, click it, fill out the form. Get that information to me. We have a package that I'd like to send to you. And also there is a video at the bottom of that screen on four basic things that I would tell every new Christian. Four basic instructions that you should follow now, now that you've begun this new adventure with Christ that are going to guarantee or ensure that your walk with Christ is a successful one and that you're not, this isn't just a, a blip on the map or some sort of um, momentary high, but that what God begins today, it's, it, it, it's fully, it grows in you and it fully, you carry it out till the end and you endure to the end. I don't want you to be one that endures for a little while, but because of heat, you immediately, you bow out, you, you, you know, you fall out. I want you to be the ones that are standing through it all, that stand to the end. And so salvationnow.ca, the first link that pops up, I just got saved. Fill that out, get it to me, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.